glad to say that this is the last episode of our This Is The Way series. This is it. We wrap it up today. Uh, we have talked about our mission, which is empowering people, fulfilling destiny, and leaving legacy. And we have talked about our values. We've talked and taught on excellence and serving Jesus, honor, generations, authenticity. And today we'll look at the last two of the values that we haven't touched on yet, which is generosity and diversity. This is who we are, and this is what we do. Some of these things you will notice as we've talked about them, you'll be like, oh yeah, I, I see that, I, I, I recognize that. Some of these things you're like, well, you know, we're not quite there yet, and that's okay. Because we state that this is what we value, and then we work at shaping the culture to match the value. So we start today with a lifestyle of generosity. See, a life modeled after Jesus will be a life of generosity in time, in finances and relationships. Jesus is our example for, li for living. He showed us how to live an intimate life with the Father and be led by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I think that like we know, if you've been around church a little bit, you know that, that Jesus was, a, was fully man, right? But we forget in the, the outworking of his example for our lives that we are to follow that he was fully man. We, we kind of, we, we slip into the space where we're like, well, well, he was God. Of course he did that. Jesus is God. But the thing, we, when Jesus came, he set aside all of his rights and his privileges as God to live life fully as a man. He was 100% man and 100% God. We know that equals 200%. I know it doesn't make any sense. That's where faith comes in. Because, listen, if you can fully understand everything about God, then you've just made yourself God. I don't want to be able to fully understand God. He needs to be beyond my understanding, beyond my comprehension. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, we have to remember and remind ourselves that he was 100% man. And everything he did when he walked the earth he did as a man because he set aside all of his rights and privileges as God. Okay? So he is our example. He is, his, his life is our example for what is possible with our lives. When we live intimate lives with the Father and we are led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was generous in every possible way. There wasn't a time or a way where he held back or he, he gave just what was enough, just enough. Jesus lived a generous life. And this is our goal. See, our goal, our aim, our target is to be generous in every possible way. Jesus was generous in relationships. He literally lived with his disciples day in and day out day after day, night after night, for three and a half years. They lived together, sharing life together. He poured into their lives. He taught them. He celebrated wins. He corrected them. Sometimes it was harsh correction. It was public correction. And sometimes it was behind closed doors. He didn't keep people at arm's distance from his life. But he brought them in close. He shared life with them. He built relationships with people 
all kinds of people. Take Zacchaeus, for example. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Luke chapter 19. Well, we're going to bounce around a little bit, so you might have to be quick on the, uh, on the Bible drills. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19. See, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, but not just any tax collector. He was the chief of all tax collectors. And so saying that Zacchaeus wasn't liked would be putting it mildly. See, it was well known that the tax collectors took more than what they were supposed to, and they lined their own pockets with the excess. But they also had the protection of the Romans because that's who they were collecting taxes for. So Jesus enters Jericho, and in verse number 5, this is what he says. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, who was in a tree, and he called out to him by name, Zacchaeus, he said, Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. See, Zacchaeus wasn't just a sinner. He was a notorious sinner. He wasn't just a famous sinner. He was an infamous sinner. Jesus opened his heart to this infamous sinner. And Zacchaeus' life was forever changed that day. As you read the rest of the story, Jesus declares that salvation had come to him and to his home. Zacchaeus' life was radically changed and transformed, and he paid back everything that he took over and above, plus some. You see, we value relational generosity, the giving of ourselves and friendship to one another, to doing life together, right? As, as, as Paul wrote in one of his letters, he says, we were pleased to not only share the gospel with you, but our lives. We need to be sharing life with one another, doing life together, welcoming people that are not like you and that are not like me into relationship. Really, we need to, we need to move out of our Sunday morning rows and begin to gather around tables where we can sit and have a cup of coffee together. Or we can share dessert together. Come on, who likes desserts? I could, I could do with more dessert in my life. We share meals together. Move from rows to gathering around tables. See, this is part of the reason. This is one of the reasons why we started Destiny Groups. It's to foster relational generosity. You know who's good at this? And they don't know I'm going to say this. It's Kaylee and Joel. They're good at this. They are so good at connecting with people. Inviting them into their home. Meeting up with people for coffee. Arranging meetups for kids ministry volunteers. You know what the, the really the incredible thing is? Is it doesn't come naturally to them. They've worked at it. They've leaned into it. They saw the value of being relational and having relational generosity. And they leaned into that. And they made space to connect with people around tables. Thank you, Joel and Kaylee, for your generosity in relationships. Jesus was also generous in serving. I mean, like, he literally left heaven to come and serve humanity on earth. And he never had a line. Jesus never had a line where he was like, okay, I will go this far and that's it in serving. I'm going to do, do this, but I won't do that. 
There wasn't anything he was, he was not willing to do from healing the sick to raising the dead to not only healing lepers but touching lepers, which nobody did. Nobody touched them. They were outcasts. So he would lay hands on them and he would touch lepers. And he, would, he, he, he turned water into wine and not just wine but fine wine. Right? The, you know, at his very first miracle, it says that, that the, the, the master of the house of the party came to the, to the groom and says, you saved the best wine for last. Nobody does that. Jesus served the Jewish people who, by his own admission, by his own words, he said, this is who my father has sent me to, to the Jewish people. He served them. But he also didn't restrict himself to them exclusively as he ministered to Samaritans, to Romans, to the Gentiles. Jesus is God most high, yet he stooped down low and washed feet. The washing of feet was the lowest of all jobs for the lowest of all servants. And the king of kings took off his outer robe, wrapped a towel around himself and got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet of his friends. This is in John chapter 13, and then he says this, starting in verse 13, John 13, 13. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I give you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, which means like really, really, this is very, very true. I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Jesus, after washing their feet, gets back up to the table, and he looks around at his friends, and he says, did you see what I just did? Do like me. Be like me. Serve people like I've served them, because it shows love. It shows that they are loved and they are cared for. See, if King Jesus can wash feet then we can wash feet too. See, this is, the way of, this is the way of Jesus. This is serving. This is generous with his time. You know who does this well? And she doesn't know I'm going to say this. Crystal. Crystal does this well. Crystal has an incredible, tremendous servant's heart. Crystal, if you don't know Crystal Wave, that's Crystal. She's our office manager. But what she does and how she serves goes way beyond what I ask her to do and her role as office manager. I know, and and I'm not taking anything away. This is because these are things that, anyway. Crystal has given rides to people, to church, to appointments, to the hospital, She's cleaned up messes. She's come in on her days off to make sure that things are, are set and they're ready for events or, or things like that. She serves at our food distribution ministry. These aren't things that I, you know, when I hired her that I said, okay, this is your job to do. These are things that she loves to do. It's an outflowing of, of the love of Jesus in her life and ge- being generous in serving the people around her. Every time she serves, she is demonstrating and displaying the love of Jesus for her actions. Thank you, Crystal, for your generosity in serving. I admire you for that. The example Jesus set 
in generosity and in, in serving is nothing is beneath us. It's the attitude of how can I help? What can I do? What, what, what do you need? How can I help you? How can I serve you? See, if serving is beneath me, then leadership is beyond me. I listened to a podcast yesterday. Um, how many of you know who Christine Kane is? Right? She's like, it seemed like back in like 2012-ish, that suddenly this woman from Australia popped up as if from nowhere and had this huge, literally global, global influence, right? And it was like, where did she come from? She told her story on this podcast I was listening to yesterday. And she said, you know, my call to ministry, there wasn't angels or glory clouds or this big thing, this big announcement. She said, this, this was it. We sat, I was sitting in church one day and they said, hey, on Saturday, we're coming to clean up the church. And she said, I showed up. And I was the only one in the youth ministry. She was a, a youth uh, volunteer. She was about 22 years of age. She said, I was the only one in the youth ministry that showed up. She said, that's my call to ministry. That's my, that's my life. I showed up when no one else would. And I was the only option. She said, I showed up. And because I was the only one there, the associate youth pastor was like, hey, we need someone to start this program. for." And that was it. She said, I showed up when no one else would. And I kept every time. And that led to, she's like literally stadiums. She's spoken in stadiums in front of 60,000 people. All because she showed up when no one else did. But Jesus also modeled and celebrated financial generosity. There's this kind of odd, quirky little story in Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 24. It says this. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? He said, yes. And when he, Peter, came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll taxes? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter said, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea, and throw, a hook, throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and for me. So in this story, Jesus first clarifies that he's exempt from the tax. Why is Jesus exempt from the tax? Because he's the king. They may not recognize him as the king, but he's the king, so he doesn't have to pay the tax. And then he also points out that Peter is exempt from the tax. Peter's exempt from the tax because he's the son of the king. And so he, these, two, these two men, they don't have to pay the tax. Then Jesus says, I want you to go fishing and pull a shekel out of the mouth of the first fish that you catch to pay both of our taxes so that we don't cause anyone to be offended or to stumble or to be angry with us. Jesus not only pays a tax that he's exempt from, how many people are willingly offering up to pay taxes that you don't owe? That's what I thought. See, he pays a tax that he's not required to pay, but he also pays his friend's tax. That's generosity. Right? How, how much was that tax again? Do you remember what I said? Two, two drachmas. What did he pull out of the fish's mouth? A shekel. How many people know how much a shekel is worth? That's okay, I didn't either. As I'm reading, like, I'm reading this and I'm like, I wondered, 
well, how? Because the taxes, two drachmas, and he pulled out a shekel and he said, okay, now go and give that for your tax and for mine. So you would assume that a shekel is four drachmas. That's what I assumed. It's not. A shekel is valued at 6.7 drachmas. Jesus not only paid a tax that he didn't have to pay, but he paid his buddy's tax and then he tipped the government. Has anybody ever purposefully tipped the government in your taxes? No, I didn't think so. This is generosity. Generosity literally in an area that like no one's generous in. Paying taxes. What, what holds us back? from being generous? I'd say you know, one of the things that holds us back is fear. Fear of lack. Of not having enough. Wondering like, okay, if I give this now, will I have enough later for what I need? Right? These are real questions. We don't have to be super spiritual. These are real questions that pretty much everybody deals with. If I give and I'm generous here, what if I don't have enough for what I need over there. Jesus knew something that we often forget. That there are, are unlimited resources available to us from the Father. Right? This is what Jesus knew. So if, you, <laughs> if you've got unlimited resources, what's preventing you from being generous? Nothing. Because you know if I give over here, I still have more than what I need over here. And then I can be generous over here too. See, this is what Jesus knew. I mean, he, it's not like he busted open his wallet, right? He, don't forget that Jesus and his disciples had a treasurer. They had money. He didn't call Judas over and say, hey, Judas, bring the money box. I need some coins to pay the tax. He said, Peter, go fishing. And all our fishermen said, amen. Go fishing and pull money out of the first fish that you catch. Because there's unlimited resources. God is the provider. His name is Jehovah Jireh. Providing is what he does. It's literally in the name. He can't not provide. It's who he is. See, when we trust that the Father will always provide for us, when we know that we ha are connected to unlimited resources, then we have no fear of lack. We have no fear of going without when we're generous with what we have. See, it's actually our generosity is a partnership with the Father. It's a partnership with the, with the Father in providing for people. See, what happens is the Father flows his resources into our life, and we allow those resources to flow through us to the people around us, becoming provision to people around us. It's a partnership with the Father. The same way that he partners with other people to flow that provision into our lives. So when we're generous, we enter into a partnership with the Father, and I believe that unlocks the unlimited resources that are available for us. This is what I like to, to call, it's the open hand principle. If you keep your hand open as it concerns finances and resources, then God will flow those things through your hand. It'll be in your hand and it'll be out. And you will always be positioned to receive and to give. But the moment that you do this, you cut off 
the resources from the Father. You might be asking yourself, well, why isn't he providing for me? I, I don't have the answer, but one of the first questions that I would ask is, is your hand open or is it closed? See, if you open your hand, you can receive from him and then you can pass it along. It's the open hand principle. During our business meeting a couple Sundays ago, our, our treasurer, Jim Penner, gave the financial report. And when he came to the financial report for last year, 2021, he shared that we ended that year about $1,949.67 in the red, which means that we were short. It means that our income was below our expenses. It was a challenging financial year, and, and there were challenges throughout all of 2021. And the fact that we were short just about $1,900 was actually an incredible testimony to the, um, the amazing generosity of God because we shouldn't have been short just $1,900. It should have been a whole lot more than that. And so we took time in the business meeting to celebrate the provision of God and celebrate what he did for us. We weren't sad or upset or, oh, poor us, but we were celebrating his provision over our lives even though we were in the red, what I would call just a little bit. After we ended the meeting, someone came up to, to Renee, and they're going to re remain anonymous. And they inquired about the amount that we were short, that, that red amount. And so I followed up with them during the week. And they shared with me that they felt when that, when, when that was shared with, with, you know, the church, they felt Holy Spirit prompt them to give that exact amount to cover the red. So that we wouldn't start 2022 behind, but we would start on even ground. That wasn't their responsibility. It wasn't their job to do that. But they felt Holy Spirit prompt them and say, I want you to give that. And so they gave. That's generosity. It was over and above and not their personal responsibility. But they responded to the Holy Spirit's leading and gave over and above. Thank you for your generosity. I was blown away. See, we value a lifestyle of generosity because that's what Jesus modeled for us. And listen, some people are good at relational generosity. And for other people, it's a growth area. Some people will serve like nobody's business. If we ask for anything, they're the first ones. Yep, I'm there. And for others, it's a struggle. It's not easy. And then there are those that literally have the, the spiritual, supernatural gift of generosity. They will, they will give and give and give and give, and they don't even think about it. They just give. And then there are others that are hesitant to give. Hear me. Listen. It's okay. Because generosity is not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. See, when you're generous in one area, keep it up. Keep going. Don't back off of that. Continue being generous in that area. But when you look at an area and it's, it's difficult for you to be generous in for whatever the reason, then this is what you do. You lean into it. You're hesitant to give? Give anyway. You're hesitant to invite people into your home and gather around a table because your house is, that's my sanctuary. That's, that's, that's my place. That's my refuge. And I just need that peaceful place. And, and I don't know if I like having people over. That's okay. Have them over anyway. 
You don't like to serve. You don't, you know, you don't like to clean up messes or do whatever the, you know, whatever the case might be. That's okay. Do it anyway. If we ever ask people to come clean up, we'll provide the gloves. You know, and we'll be in, we'll be in there together. It's okay if it's a struggle. Because the, the goal is growing in your generosity. See, the thing with genero- being generous is you never come to the place where you're like, I'm generous. I'm good. There's, it's, there's always more, right? You always grow. And so I, I know as I look back on my life, I serve more and better now than I did when I was younger. I'm, I'm, I'm more financially generous now than I was when I was younger. Right? I'm more relationally generous now than when I was younger. I, I can actually look and point to a place in my life. You'll probably laugh at this. When I was pastoring, when I had a realization that, man, relationships are important. <laughs> I'm just being real. And I can point to a place in my life where, I, where there was a marked shift and I began to value relationships more than I ever had before. We're growing in our generosity. See, growing in generosity is the goal. And our last value is a resolve for diversity. The kingdom of God is made up of every culture and ethnicity. And we believe that should be seen in our church. From those who attend all the way to those who are in leadership. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, John is seeing this incredible open vision of heaven. And he he writes this. He says, After these things I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all the tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is Jesus. This is gathered around the throne of Jesus. Let's look at some of those words that... that that, um, John uses to describe what he's seeing. He says, from every nation. This in the Greek, this this Greek word is ethnos, and it means race, culture, people, and nation. It's also where we get our English word, ethnicity. He says, tribe. These are nations or people descending from the 12 tribes of Israel. He's specifically referencing the Jewish people. And then he says, peoples. And these are, these are those who are all from the same ancestry. See, this describes so well the diverse group of people that were standing before and around the throne of Jesus. No one not represented. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every ethnicity, every language. And so if this is what heaven looks like, shouldn't the church look the same? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. I've referenced this many times in this series. This is the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, Jesus Jesus instructs the disciples to disciple all nations. This is that same word, ethnos. Every ethnicity, meaning all cultures, nations, and nationalities. Jesus didn't send his disciples just to their people. They were all Jewish. He sent them to all peoples, to people of all languages and, 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 and cultures and ethnicities. Which means that we have the same direction because the disciples were also told to teach their disciples all that Jesus had taught them. There's a reason this is a stated value as, as a resolve for diversity because we have work to do in this area. 
This must be a constant focus as we build the church and as we raise up leaders. Our leader, you need to hear me as your pastor. Our leaders and pastors and elders, they can't all look like me. We will invite diversity to our leadership table. We have to. If we value diversity, then diversity must be seen in our leadership. This is going to take extra effort on my part as I lead our church family. Why? Because of where our church is located. La Mesa, and, and not so the area that I would call specifically around where our church is located, we're 69% white. If you factor in the community, like the city as a whole, it drops to about 59%. But in our specific area, our section of La Mesa, 69% white, 19% Hispanic, 5.75% Pacific Islander, 3.5% black, and 2.75% Asian. Yes, I have a program that I ran. These are the actual numbers. Our church sits in a predominantly white neighborhood, but that is not an excuse. It just means we need to focus more on diversity. See, when people come into our church, I want them to see themselves represented. I want them to see themselves represented here on the stage with those who are leading us in worship, those who are greeting, those who are, who are, who are giving the announcements, those who are speaking, those who are holding the front door open, in, in, our, in our kids' workers. They need to see themselves represented in the seats and in our leadership. Are we there? No. We have work to do. Diversity... It's not just about ethnicities. Diversity also means having gender diversity on our leadership. I've been asked in the past about having women serve as elders on our board. I'm not only open to it, but I recognize we need their voices. We need female voices on that board, on that level. The only reason I'm okay with it that right now we currently have an all-male elder board is because our staff are basically all women. You may not realize this. Pastor Renee, Pastor Shelby, Pastor Kaylee, Pastor Stephanie, and Pastor Craig. <laughs> I'm okay with it because we have women in leadership speaking into the direction of our church. And I have been questioned in the past about why we have women who teach and preach in our church. And I can... Um, defend, I guess is the right word, our stance and what we do, but I usually just send them back to the Bible and tell them they just need to read it again, understand the context, understand who it's being spoken to and of. We need ethnic diversity. We need gender diversity. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, you know the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6? He says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So if it's in heaven, then we have to see it here. And if we don't see it here, then we've got work to do. We've got, we've got you know, uh, uh, battles to fight. That's, that's how we know what the church is supposed to look like. You open the scripture, you peer into the revelation of what it says is in heaven. And that's what we fight for here. That's what we work for here.
I grew up in a multicultural setting. There were times growing up when I was in elementary school where I was in situations where I was the minority. I grew up in a very strong Native American context. I rode the, for, for many years, I rode, I rode a bus into town to go to school. And my family was the only white family on the bus. Even though I grew up in a really small community, very rural, we had people from many different cultures in our small, tiny town. These were my friends growing up. When we lived in Toronto before we, we moved here, if you've never been to Toronto, you are immersed in cultural diversity. It is one of the most cultural diverse cities I have ever been to. Josiah uh, was the only white kid in his friend group at school when he went through middle, middle school. It was awesome. Our church was not predominantly white. I love diversity. It's important to me. And we will always work towards cultural representation and inclusion because that's the kingdom of God. Right? Psalms 133 from the New, New Living Translation says this, How wonderful and pleasant it is when the brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion, and there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Some translations, when you read Psalms 133, will say unity. I like harmony. See, harmony is when there are different tones that are played together to create a pleasing musical arrangement. It's not all the same sound being played together at one time. If it's only the same sound and the same tone, then you can't hear any differences. That's uniformity. That's not unity, and that's not harmony. Harmony celebrates differences. It celebrates differences that are coming together to create something that is beautiful. And I believe that's a picture of the church. This is diversity. It's precious. It's powerful. And it's refreshing. The writer says that it's compared to the anointing of the Holy Spirit on our lives. It says, for harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's beard. The anointing oil is a representative. It represents the presence of God upon a person's life. In the place of harmony, there is also the commanded or the pronounced blessing of God. Not many of you, if, if any, maybe a couple, would, would know this. But when Cliff and Melissa Perrin first came to our church about 15 years ago, Melissa, yeah, 15 years ago, they came, well, because God asked them to come and they were obedient. God asked them to come for diversity's sake. See, they, had used, they were used to attending predominantly black churches. But God had been speaking to them and leading them here to this church. And they've, they obeyed the voice of God. And they chose diversity over comfort. Because it wasn't always easy. And there were times when, when they got pushed back. I know Melissa has told me stories of, of different times when they were pushed back on their decision to attend a predominantly white church. 
Cliff and Melissa, thank you. Thank you for being obedient to the voice of the Lord. And thank you for being obedient and choosing diversity. And for setting an example for all of us to choose diversity. See, diversity doesn't just happen. We can't just throw open the doors and and invite people in and then, well, look at that, we're diverse. It doesn't happen that way. Because what, 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 really, it, it works this way. What you see in the seats is what you see on the stage. That's how it works. And so if, if, I st- if, if I'm the pastor for, for the next 20 or 30 years, I'm going to get old. And then what we'll see, if I'm the only like, person that the people see on the stage, our congregation will continue to get older and older and older because they see me and they're like, oh, okay, I, this, is where, this is where I belong. And so you have to choose diversity. You choose age diversity, to include those who are young. We've talked about this, right? And you give them space, and you give them place on the platform, in leadership. And you give space, and you invite those from different ethnicities and backgrounds than than me. And you make space for them on the stage and in leadership to lead and to speak into the direction of our church. Because I, as hard as I try, I I still see things from my perspective. And so I, I need people that are not like me so I can see it from the way that you see it. So we resolve to pursue diversity and making room for those that are not like us so that we can come together in harmony, reflecting the kingdom of God. Diversity is costly. It is powerful. It is beautiful. It takes effort, but it is worth it. This is the way. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would take these these topics that we've spoken on since the beginning of the year, our mission and our values. As we have spoken and declared these things and we've taught them, I pray that you would take them and that you would drive them deep into the foundation of who we are as a church. That you would shape and mold who we are, what we do, and where we're going. God, that these things would not be things that are just spoken out and they're on a web page and that's just where they stay, but they would literally become who we are. It's our identity as a church. This is what we do as a church. This is the way. So as the father of this family, I ask for your help, Holy Spirit, in leading, in guiding, in shaping, in encouraging, in inviting, in setting the example. Not in words, but in my life, it would set the example. In Jesus' name, amen.